Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Well, if you've been with us for a while, and by looking at you all, most of you have been with us for a while, um, we are going for our study in the book of Ephesians. And um, something before we begin, I just wanted to um, just, just mention, and it's the fact that, you know, as we've been going for our study in Ephesians, um, you know, my intention, my desire, should I, should I say, has been to give us things which we can maybe hold on to and use as a platform so that we can go on to do our own study. Um, you know, in going through the various chapters, in going through the various aspects and topics, you know, especially as we've been going through principles regarding God's new society, you know, looking at husbands and wives and their roles and children. You know, obviously, I didn't exhaust every aspect and every element which could have been exhausted. But, as I said, it's really given a basis so that, you know, it would provoke something in your own mind so that you'd go on and do your own study, your own further study. You know, um, last week, for example, I could have mentioned how King David wasn't a great father, you know, um, and the whole relationship between Absalom and Amnon and how he didn't discipline his children. So we could have gone into all those things there, Eli and his children, as Harriet pointed out to me. So, and that was brilliant because Harriet pointed it out. So obviously it sparked something within her mind, and that's the intention, not just to sort of like try and spoon feed you, but trying to say, well, look, here's, here's something to work from. You may agree with it, you may not agree with it, but it's something to provoke thought. That is um, the intention, my intention, my desire. So, so again, as we approach our study today, it's with the same intention, the same desire, um, as we continue our look in Ephesians. And we know that Ephesians, the first three chapters of us, pretty much said every week, doctrinal understanding why we believe what we believe, and then the last three chapters is practical ways to, to apply what we believe, what we say we believe, and to use them in, within our daily walk. And, um, and so the next portion of text, you know, it deals specifically with God's perspective on work and subsequently the believer's practical approach to their work life. And Paul addresses this, and he uses the language of servants and masters. And servants and masters basically translates into our modern concept of the relationship between employee and employer. So that's pretty much what we will be looking at today. And if you can remember... Um, the springboard for all that we've been looking at over, say, the last six weeks, you know, pretty much started in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, which says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So that has been the springboard. Um, but even if we could take it back further than that, you know, the springboard is, it is, it is saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
If you're being filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's going to evidence itself in certain ways. It's going to evidence itself with, you know, your attitude of heart, that you'll be, you know, singing and making melody in your heart, that you would be having that mutual respect for each other, that you'd recognize that, you know, God has a divine order of things. And so, as we've looked in, in the past weeks, you know, as wives are submitting to their husbands, and as husbands submit to, to meeting the needs of their wives, and as children submit to their parents, and as parents submit to meeting the needs of their children, you know, raising and teaching them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then, you know, this is all evidence that, that God's principles are being outworked within his children's lives. And so... Again, it, it, and it's further evidence that the Holy Spirit is actually doing something within our life. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit very much could work in a dynamic way, but then he could work in these very practical ways of, of a husband just giving himself for his wife and loving his wife. A wife happily being in submission to her husband. Children being obedient to their children, to, to their parents. It could very much outwork itself in those very practical and normal ways. So we don't always have to look for the work of the Spirit in the spectacular, even though he's able to do the spectacular. So we see evidence of these things. And, and, and as we really look at these things, I mean, you know, again, it's evidence because naturally, naturally we see that you know, wives, as we've looked at before, have a tendency to not want to be in submission to their husbands. You know, husbands want to rule over their wives with, with, you know, and reign and lord over their wives. And children, you know, as we know, as they grow up, they're always kicking against the boundaries and seeing how, you know, they could just, um, you know, push their luck with their parents. And so it cuts against the grain once everything is working in submission to one another that we're actually evidencing that the Lord is at work within our personal lives and within our families. And so, with all this in mind, our text today, from verse 5, says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving, giving up threatening, knowing that your, your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Amen. Amen. So, it's our text. Now, obviously, uh, I'm going to have to try and give a bit of background information into where this is going and, and, and the principles behind this. And in ancient times, and especially during the times of Paul writing this epistle, you know, having servants or having slaves was a normal way of life. And dependent on the people involved, the servant master relationship had both good and bad examples so we had good masters and we had bad masters there were good servants and there were bad servants and 
you know, as we think about this concept in, in this light, you know, um, perhaps you can have in your mind um, the servant-master relationship between Potiphar and Joseph. You know, Potiphar was obviously the master and Joseph was the servant, but they had a very, very good relationship. And to the point where Joseph was given the, the freedom to, to, to run and control all of Potiphar's affairs. You know, he was given that trust and he was given that freedom to do this. And, and we know that through Joseph's life, he was faithful in whatever he put his hands to. So, you know, in the Old Testament, maybe we, we could have that example. In the New Testament, you know, um, I think of the servant-master relationship between the centurion who had a, a servant, a slave who was sick. And he approached Jesus and he said to Jesus, basically paraphrasing, speak the word. And I know that my, my servant, my slave will be healed. You see, so we had a, a master-servant, servant-master relationship, but there was care, there was love, there was, there was a tenderness to it, you see. And, and you see, when we're looking at these things, it's not always in the negative, even though we have definite negative aspects and examples of servitude and of slavery. You know, we don't have, even have to think too far back to the slave trade and all the horrors of the slave trade. And, and you know, knowing that slavery still has a very lasting effect even today in people's minds. So, you know, in biblical days, the whole thing was viewed in a different way. Um, you know, it wasn't always negative. And perhaps when we look at these things, we always, perhaps always just get a mindset that it's always in the negative because we hear these words servants or slaves. And some, maybe we could fight against that just for a while. And under Roman law, within the Roman Empire, you know, slaves didn't have any rights. And they were treated very harshly and often, you know, they would be killed for the slightest of things. You know, they were just treated as objects. And as the Roman Empire basically grew, Roman society basically got to a point where they felt that they were too good to do sort of like menial work. You know, all they wanted to do was um, basically you know, get drunk, have orgies, and just sort of like live a life of leisure. And so what they would do now is, is they would import slaves from all the territories which they had conquered. And this meant that over time, many slaves found themselves, you know, functioning in very responsible jobs. And they had positions of of great responsibility. You see, you find that there were slaves who were doctors. There were slaves who were, were chefs. You know, they were preparing the food for their masters. Um, you know, there were slaves who could even have been considered to be in the fashion trade because they had the control over the master's wardrobe, you know, what the master would wear. And so slaves started to have this strange relationship towards their masters within the Roman Empire. 
And, and it's strange also that oftentimes it's been documented that, that those who were very wealthy within uh, Roman society, their closest friends were actually their slaves. And I find that quite bizarre because, you know, um, if we actually look at that within a sort of like employee-employer context, there's many times that you may, some of you may have a boss and their closest friends <laughs> are the ones who work for them. The ones who they're rubbing shoulders with sort of like on a day-to-day basis. They, they open up their hearts and tell you things which perhaps they don't tell their wives or their husbands. You know, and it's... It's, it's, it is that weird concept, but it's true nonetheless. And so slavery was a very, very interesting concept. And slavery or servant, servant, servitude, um, it basically kept the economy going. It kept the economy ticking over. Okay? It formed the basis for employment. And, and so as Paul is, is writing this, as Paul is addressing this issue, you know, his focus isn't so much, much on is slavery right or is servitude right or is it wrong? It's not, that's not his focus. His focus is, is on having the right attitude in whichever position you find yourself. So whether you're a slave or a master, whether you're an employee or an employer, do you have the right attitude towards your work? That is the point which is trying to be conveyed here. And he says this, and it was an issue in the time of writing this epistle because both masters and servants were both coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you had, you had this weird concept where, you know, you had a servant serving his master, but then perhaps on a Sunday, if it was a Sunday, they, get, they came together. They were, stu- they were there both worshipping the Lord as one. But they weren't one. Because one obviously had a higher position in society than the other. So it was weird. And so this needed to be addressed during this time. And they needed to know exactly how they were to function towards each other. And so in verse 5, Paul says, bond servants, or servants, depending on your translation, um, which is the Greek word doulos. And this word denotes someone who is subservient to another, whether in a voluntary or an involuntary capacity. So Paul says, you know, servants... Be obedient to those who are your masters. And the interesting thing about this is that Paul uses the same word which he used for children to be obedient to their parents to now say, servants, be obedient to your masters. It's a command. A command that servants would be obedient to those who had authority over them. And what he's actually doing is he's continuing to establish this process and this principle that 
just as Christ Jesus requires order within the family and within the home, he also requires order within every area of our lives. And this includes our work life also. And so the apostle's mindset is that because we are now in this privileged position of being in Christ Jesus, we should have a different attitude and a different approach towards exactly how we function as employees towards our employers. And so within the next three verses, you know, he gives reasons why servants or employees should have this different attitude. You see, if we, if we look in our Bibles and it says at the end of verse 5, Paul says that servants should be doing their work as to Christ. In verse 6, he says they should be doing their work as doing the will of God from the heart. In verse 7, they should work as to the Lord. And in verse 8, they should work as if they will receive the same from the Lord. It's all about attitude. Therefore, whatever duties an employee has before them, you know, whatever job you have before you, the idea is that we should work with the attitude that we are, in a sense, specifically working for Christ. You're my employee, but I'm not really doing this unto you. I am doing it unto you, but I'm working as if I'm working unto the Lord. Whatever we do in word or deed, we should do as unto the Lord. And that includes our work life. So he says, servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. And it's, and it's interesting that he adds the words, according to the flesh. Because he's making this distinction here. This, this distinction, as we've considered in previous studies, that, you know, spiritually, everyone in Christ Jesus is on the same level. We are the same. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 tells us that. It says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. So spiritually, we're all one. But in the natural realm, according to the flesh, we're not the same. We all have different roles, different functions, different positions within society. Therefore, we all have to function within a structure, within order. And Paul is emphasizing that Within this natural realm, there are those who are subordinate. And those who are subordinate should be obedient to those who are in authority over them. You know, many of us could be at work and we have our bosses and we can think, you know what, I can do that job better than that they can do it. My, my boss is useless. I can do their job better. But guess what? They're your boss. That's the wrong attitude to have. Really, if you was doing it unto Christ, the, the, the areas you see where they're weak, you should come alongside and try to help them. That's what should really happen. 
Go the extra mile, if need be. Because you're not doing it for them. Yes, you're doing it for a wage packet, but, but more than that, you're doing it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. See, that's the attitude. So we should be obedient to those who are in authority over us. And we should do this, as it says, with fear and trembling, verse 5, or with reverence and respect. Not because we're afraid of the boss and what they may do and they might put us on a disciplinary or something. No, not that type of fear, but because we have a, we, we, we're in a job. We have a position, we have a responsibility. Whether that's a menial task of doing dishes or whether that's being a PA to the MA. Is there an MA? MD. I just wanted to know if you was paying attention there. PA to the MD. And so, whatever work you've got to do, whatever work is being placed before you, you know, that you would do it as if you're working to the Lord. And he goes on to say, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Again, because they are in Christ, we are in Christ Jesus, you know, we have a different motivation. You know, Paul's saying insincerity of heart, which means that we're doing it and we're motivated from the inside. We're motivated from the fact that Christ has done something in our hearts, so we think differently, we act differently. You know, it isn't dependent whether our bosses are nice to us or not nice to us, whether they give us that raise or they don't give us that raise, whether they, you know, want to, they're on our case and they're, they're looking at, Every time you're one minute late, you were one minute late. That's not the case. That's not the issue. The issue is, if you are in a position of employment, of working, that you would do your work with sincerity of heart from the inside out and that you're happy to give 60 minutes of work for 60 minutes of pay. That you'd earn your salary. And again, some of you may say, but you don't know my job. My job's boring. And I'm not happy at work because, you know, it's not what I really want to do. And again, you might say, you don't know, Pastor P, you don't know my boss. My boss is a nightmare. My boss is like, he, they've come from hell. They treat me bad. And you may be right. You may have that type of boss. You may have that type of job. But the fact is, as we're in Christ Jesus, we know that whatever position you have, Christ has allowed you to have it. He's allowed you to have it. I'm not saying he specifically wants you to have it. Many times at prayer meeting, we would pray for people to have jobs. And it would be funny because they'll get the jobs. And then a few months later, they'll start saying how, you know, oh, I hate my job. The boss is this or this person I'm working with that. But, but you wanted that job. We prayed for that job. And you got the job. You see? So it isn't a fact whether God specifically said have that job. Sometimes we're just drawn away with what we want. We want. But God allowed us to have the job. And guess what? God allowed you to have that boss. 
And God allowed you to have that work colleague who doesn't like you and rubs you up the wrong way. And guess what? God has allowed you to have all these situations because he wants to show you something about you. You see, Jesus wants to use every situation to shape us and mold us into his image and his likeness. And you know, you know that, that whole process of shaping and molding, I don't know if anybody here has ever used clay, but when you get a lump of clay and you want to shape it or mold it into whatever it is, a bowl, a cup, whatever it may be, just an image, you know, you have to start pressing it, rolling it, you know, put it, pushing it into shape. That, for the clay, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good process. It's, it's like, oh, oh, oh. And that's how your work life may be at the moment. It may be a bit of, oh, ah, uh. But God has put you in that place for a specific reason. And it's good for you. You may not feel like it's good for you, but it's good for you. You know, First Peter chapter 2, verse 18, if you're taking notes. You may not want to hear it, but this is the word of God. Servants or employees, be submissive to your masters or employers with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. But this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten or treated badly for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, I don't understand how it's commendable before God, but God says it's commendable before him. For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his footsteps, his steps, sorry, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see, so in the workplace, there's no, there's no room for this. So, 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 so. Start talking about the boss. Start getting in your little groups and start talking about, oh, yeah, you know, they don't even do this. And then you said they looked at me the other day. There's no room for that. You know, making gossip, because what you're doing is you're just acting like a, like a worldlian, if there's such a word. I just made it up. Yeah. Like a worldlian. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins, his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. But guess what? You are all like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So before you were believers, you may have acted that way, because perhaps you didn't know any better. But now you're a Christian. Now that you're in Christ, the Lord expects a different attitude. 
He expects a different motivation towards your work. That's what he expects. And so, you know, if you're in that place where your boss or, you know, is horrible to you, you know, really you have to work at and look at, well, I need to change. I need to act as a Christian within this situation. And I need to do whatever I do as, as if I do it unto the Lord. You know, Titus chapter 2 and verse 9, it also says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. You see, it's the same language. To be well-pleasing in just some things, you know, the things you feel like it. No, in all things. And here it's got not answering back. Not pilfering. Now, pilfering is a word we don't use today in our modern language. Amen? Not pilfering, which means not stealing. You know, you, now, I'm not saying that anyone is there willfully stealing from work and everything, but, you know, that little paperclip, that pen, five minutes here, five minutes there, extra few minutes at lunch break, photocopies, You know what it could be. You see, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. You see, you know, people watching you, you start telling people you're a Christian, you believe in the Bible. It's like extra antennas start going up. They start watching your life. And if they start, see, if they're in conversation with you and they just hear you bickering about the boss and about your job and you're not getting enough this and you're not getting enough that and da 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 da, they're just thinking, oh, is that is that how Christians behave then? Is that how Christians think? You know, we considered the scripture last week that that you know we must be content in all things. And so, you know, what the apostle Paul is driving at here is really. He's saying there should really be no distinction between your work life and what you would perhaps deem your Christian life. You know, as believers, we don't have a work life and a Christian life because we're Christians. You don't separate the two. It's all one. You're a Christian. There should be no distinction. Every aspect of our life should be used and you know, for the glory of God. And so this is what the apostle is driving at here. And in verse 6, you know, he introduces two, you know, negative things to avoid. You know, he says, not with eye service. Why would you put that in there, Paul? Not with eye service. So not just working when the boss is watching. When the boss is watching, I'm happy to get on with my work and look like I'm, you know, maybe kids and at school, they, they may do things like this. They're, they're talking to their friends, and as soon as the teacher looks, it's like back to writing out their work. But not with eye service. You know, not just working when the boss is watching, not slacking off from work when the boss is just not around. The 
boss has gone away for a week's holiday. That means we can kick back, put our feet up, put on the radio, listen to Nick Ferrari on LBC. You see, whether the boss is away or whether the boss isn't watching, the fact is the big boss, our Heavenly Father, is always watching. He's never away from us. He always sees. And he's the one who is keeping account. And that's the mindset we should have. It says, not as men pleasers, which in so many ways is looking at the approval of men. You know, we're not doing our work just to, just to, just to get that pat on the back. Oh, you're, you're heavy. Oh, look at that work you've done. Oh, you're serious. You're really good at your job. And that's what we live for, that boost. And the fact is, if you get the boost, praise God. If you don't get the boost, praise God. That should not be your motivation. I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it good and at a high level because I want to get the boost. You see, we shouldn't be there trying to blow our own trumpet but we should be blowing the trumpet for the Lord within our work. And again, if he decides to big us up publicly, then that's entirely up to the Lord. And not as men's pleasers also has this, you know, idea of not necessarily doing our work and trying to look good at somebody else's expense. You know, because that happens in the work environment too, where, you know, people are always pitched against each other. And to make yourself look good, you'll make another person look bad. You know, and, and the Lord's saying, uh-uh. That's not the attitude. That's not the mindset of, children, of my children. No. But he says, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see, it's all that inner motivation. It's all from the inside out. And, you know, from, from the heart, singularity of heart. You see, the, it's the attitude of always doing the will of God from the inside, and with, inside out with a pure motive. In verse 7 it says, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. You see, he's just reiterating the same thing. And it's this idea that, again, we can go to work, do an honest day's work, and then, you know, as we you know, commit that day into the Lord's hands, and we say, thank you, Lord, for a great day, we can honestly say, Lord, you know, I know that within my work, I, I pray that you were well pleased with whatever I presented to you today in my work life. That I didn't slack in any area. That I represented you well. That I was a light for you, verbally or non-verbally. You know, that we could all say, Lord, I just really hope that I eagerly served you well today. That should be the mindset. And verse 8 gives us the incentive 
which is knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. You see, I've said it before, but the Lord sees everything. Everything is open and bare before him. And his promise here is that he will reward his children for their good work. Their good work as they work within this natural realm, whatever job it may be. And his reward isn't dependent on whether somebody, you know, has a position or not, whether they're a master or a slave, whether they're an employee or an employer. But, you know, his reward is based on an individual's faithfulness and obedience. You see, the Lord is holding this account. It's like he's storing up these blessings for those who who love him. And who honor him faithfully with their work life. And, you know, just considering these things, you know, I was just thinking that as believers, you know, our work life is something which we have to redeem. And I, I, I say this in the sense that, you know, work was there before the fall. You know, Adam had a responsibility to tend the garden before sin entered into the world. So work isn't this bad thing. You know, God commissioned him. He gave him that that responsibility, as I said, before the fall. But since the fall, we know that, you know, part of the curse was that now you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. It isn't always a good thing. You know, work isn't always pleasurable. Some people have jobs which they love. Fair enough. But, you know, it's that, it's like hard. You know, and work can often be more like a problem for individuals rather than a blessing. And, you know, work is is that weird thing which can have such an influence over us because... You know, you spend so much time at work. You probably spend more time at work than you actually do if you're married with your partner. You probably spend more time at work if you're a parent than with your children. You know, work just seems like this thing where, well, we have to work because we have to pay the bills. You know, therefore, you've got to get up at the crack of dawn to go to work and put your kids into, if you've got children, you put your children into child minders or to school and everything, and then you do your work and everything, and then you come back and a couple of hours, put them to bed, and you just wind down, and it all starts again. You go to bed, and it all starts again. And in relationships, you find that maybe you're like, ships passing in the night because of this thing called work, which we have to do because we have to pay the bills. And, you know, it seems like we're working for work. And, you know, and somehow it seems that we have to redeem it back. We have to find a way where work isn't that burden, but it's enjoyable. It's working for us and not us working for it. I don't know how that actually is going to pan out, but 
Do you see my point? It's trying to, and, and having the right attitude within work, in my mind, is part of the process of how we do that. So we're not waking up thinking, oh, I've got to go there again. I've, <laughs> I've got to be around that person. I've got to jump on that train or that bus or, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that person who sits right next to me, oh, I can't stand them. You don't, we're not going to work with that attitude anymore. We're, we're waking up in the day, even though it's very dark when you wake up in the morning these days. Yeah. <laughs> it is day. And you know what? You just have, Lord, this is another opportunity where I could glorify your name. Yeah, it's grey outside. It's dark. But I'm going to glorify your name anyway. Because you give me another day of life. Hallelujah. Lord, let me represent you well. When I have an opportunity, Lord, to just say, yeah, and join in, I could, I could even just refrain or just say, well, you know, they try their best. Maybe we should find ways of helping them. It's having that different attitude. You know, maybe you're a student, maybe you're teachers, you know, maybe you're in that situation now. Your teachers are, are rubbish. And you're thinking, yeah, I could do your job better than you. Well, you know what? Find ways where you're not bickering about your teachers. If they're not that good, well, you know what? We live in a day and age where we've got the internet. Google it. See, God wants us to have this right attitude within work. He wants us to have, you know, he wants us to work well and set that right example. You know, um, and as I said before, you know, when, when, especially when we become Christians, you know, people begin to watch us. And, you know, work is, you know, even today, I mean, look, we're, look at, we're living in a time where there isn't much work. And so just to have a job is a blessing all in itself. But, We've we've had a culture for the last X amount of years where there are generations of people who don't work. Families, generations in families who have never, ever worked. And that's just the strange concept. You know, and God wants us to be people who value the attitude and the concept of work. You know, the scripture says, if anyone will not work... You shouldn't eat. I mean, the government now have maybe alleviated that in this culture anyway, because you don't have to work and you still eat and we'll make you live better than the person is working <laughs> a, a full week and paying their taxes. But that's another story. But you know what? Just to, just to, just to know you have... A reason to get up every morning. I mean, these guys don't have a reason to get up. They, 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 they're awake all night and, and, and asleep all day. What kind of existence is that? To know that you can wake up and you have a specific thing to do. And you have a, a specific contribution you can make to society, to the workforce. I mean, it's beautiful. It should be something you should not take for granted and say, oh, but my boss is this, my boss is that. Maybe they are, but again, we're going over old ground. You see, 
First Timothy also, I've got to mention this one, says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbelever. You see the, you see the, you see the, the value God places on work. He, he considers that someone who is capable of working has an opportunity to have a job, but chooses not to. God says, you're worse than an unbeliever. Interesting. And so we have to have the right attitude with our work. You know, whether that is, whether that is with God blessing us and giving us a fantastic job where we earn lots and lots of money, we have a, a, a nice, comfortable lifestyle, or whether that's whether we have a, a relatively what we would consider to be a menial job. And we don't have lots of money. And we do just make ends meet. You know, we, we, we praise the Lord for the, for the fact that we have jobs anyway. And in verse 9, you know, the apostle turns from speaking to the employees and he speaks to and he addresses masters or employers. And the word here is kurios in the Greek, which means someone who has supreme authority. And he says, and you masters do the same things to them. Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. So all the things we've just been speaking about and considering about employees, it's now directed to employers. And employers are encouraged to treat those who work for them in the same way, with the same motivation with the right goals with the right heart attitude you know if, if somebody does an honest day's work then give them the right pay give them the right working conditions treat them with respect all these things you know it's the same thing you know not having this attitude because you have a bit of power and an authority that you're lording it over and you be threatening and abusive towards you but no that is not the attitude to have you see, and if you can picture this again, you know, when Paul wrote this epistle, you know, this is starting to balance out the servant-master relationship now. It's, try, it's showing them how they needed to, re to react towards each other, conduct themselves towards each other. And he says, at the end of the day, it's working like this in the natural realm. But ultimately, spiritually, somewhere along the line, you're all the same. And you're all, you're all going to have to give an account to God with exactly what was placed before you. And when it comes to God, there's no partiality with him. Whether you were free or whether you was a slave. Whether you was an employer, whether you was an employee. What was your attitude towards your work? He expects us to work in obedience, to work faithfully, to serve him, and to honor him through our lives. And so, you see, the family and our work life, you know, is all connected with each other. And so, the Apostle Paul 
you know, it's basically saying, you know, honor the Lord in your personal life, honor the Lord in your family life, honor the Lord in your work life. And these are all principles. These are all building blocks and evidence of God establishing his new society within your life, within your family's life, within your work life. You know, when we pray, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is. It's already been established in heaven, but now it needs to be established in our lives on earth. These these are ways how they're established in our lives on earth. For our personal lives, your kingdom come. If If you're married, in your relationship to your husband or your wife, your kingdom come. If you've got children, your kingdom come. In my work life, your kingdom come. These are God's principles for his new society. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to look into your word. And um, we bless your name. I pray, Lord, that we are able to hold on to some of these principles and these aspects, Lord. And um, if there are those here today who who have those difficult and challenging situations at work, Lord, that you'd give them grace. Your word says that your grace is sufficient. So, Lord Jesus, that they would rely upon your grace, that they would even think of new ways, Lord, and where they could have a different attitude towards their work and towards the person who may be the result of them having a hard time. Um, We lift them up before your throne, Lord. We pray that even you would use that as an opportunity, Lord, for them to share the gospel, the hope of their salvation, Lord. So um, we commit them into your hands. And um, I just pray, Lord, that you help us all in our work life. I pray for those who may even be looking for work right now, Lord, that you would open up doors, that you provide opportunity, Lord, where your children, Lord, will be able to get into the workforce, Lord, and... um, and have that opportunity, Lord, to, to represent you well. So um, we commit the rest of this time into your hands, Lord. We thank you for it again. In Jesus' name, amen.